when you get to that screen, it means that I'm really behind time. And as much as I appreciate, Ryan, you pointed out significant improvements since last Saturday, Ryan says. And I say, well, thank you very much. However, it's five minutes late. Like all of that was supposed to be launching about six minutes before the actual time we're supposed to be on the air. And then that way it would come on early. And then if you came because you knew it was going to be at 830, it would be right at 830. But hey, Internet. How are you doing? Let's not wallow in the muck today. Ardith, I saw also hard not to wallow this AM. I'll tell you, I had a I had a wallowy week. I'll just say it that way. So I'm right there with you. In fact, yesterday I was so personally distraught with my own self, my deepest, darkest self, that I had to ask myself, how am I going to get on the internet and talk to people like I'm a Christian? I'm not kidding you. That is where I was yesterday afternoon. Not not yet. 8.30 was all right still, kind of. But yesterday afternoon, <laughs> oh. But I'll tell you, um, what I know is this. I know that yesterday is going to burn in the fires of judgment. But I'm not going to. Because I'm baptized into Christ. I know that there is a crown with my name on it that already is adorning his head. And because I'm in him, therefore I rise again today and he is my God, whether I deserve it or not. And so with you. For the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient. In all these things, good morning. Saturday morning, it's time to chill. Thank you for enjoying the music, if you did. I think we got a pretty decent show lined up for you. And you might notice I'm dressed like like a pastor today. I, I won't be for the entire show, but early on here, we're going to do something that I'm going to try to two bird, one stone for a local organization. So consider it this morning as part of a promo for them, so far as you're concerned, but they're going to take some of that work that I do and they're going to put it into their fundraiser that's coming up shortly. So I'll say more about that later on and then I'll get out some different digs, show you a break that I actually put together, kind of, maybe, sort of, and dig into your questions and comments, both from last week's sidebar as well as what you've sent to us at revfisk.com slash contact. Remember, if you like what we do here at Mad Christianity, patreon.com is the way to make the gears turn in all of that reality. Um, And uh, don't forget, you want to sign up for Mad Mondays if you haven't already. It'll be the best part of your Monday, even though it's an email. And that's really hard to believe and or say. I know, but give it a shot. Give it a shot. And if you don't like us, you just unsubscribe. And if no one taught you how to unsubscribe, well, Mad Christian Newsletter... Mad Mondays, is the kind of place where we're going to teach you. If you want to ask us, how do we unsubscribe? We're going to be like, we're glad to help you unsubscribe. Yeah, Because what we want is to give you benefit. And if you, if you don't think you're getting that, then please, please, by all means, don't support. But if you if you do get the benefit, the support is helpful. Sign up for the newsletter, help with Patreon, all that good stuff. Okay, commercials out of the way. I now have only one small problem, and I think I solved it. Let's jump immediately here into some of your comments and questions. Just a little of the frivolity, which I'll be coming back to frivolity in a different way later. But Silish said last week, the lady will personally send the cinnamon rolls or marinate the steaks for the men's group. Um, this lady saying you want the ladies group to, to you want the ladies of the congregation to support the men being men, right? And that's in that whole conversation of can men have a place where they're allowed to be men, which to some extent is allowing them to be dumber than they might otherwise be because they're going to experiment and make mistakes and be doofuses and be boys too, right? Because it's not about not growing up at all. Uh, It's actually about growing up and learning to stand and all those kinds of things. So, and and there's so few places in our civilization right now for that to happen. So few. And you take away male sports and boom, I mean, what do they got? Call of Duty. And I I like Call of Duty, but really it's not going to teach you how to be a man. It it really won't. So uh, yeah, uh, a men's group of any kind in which they're just getting together 
and being men. As Christians, you know, supporting each other morally, you don't have to be all hyper pious about it. It's not going to be a Bible study every time, right? But to support the people, the men of the congregation with each other. I mean, what, what a powerful thing. What a time actually to do that. So Cafe Sola chimed in. He said, some say that a men's group is the only place you can discuss Ephesians. Oh, interesting. And so you would also imply like Colossians and First Peter and all those texts, which would talk about the headship of the husband over his wife and over his family and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, that was the case. I mean, I, I, I talked about this last week. I was for much of my life as a teacher of the church, whether in vicarage or as ordained, um, uh, I, I didn't shy away from the topic of man and woman in Christ, but nor did I open the book and say, okay, today's, today I'm going to make everybody happy with what I say. Today, everyone's going to think this is exactly what I want to believe, uh, for much of, much of my career. Uh, thankfully for all the chaos that's out there right now, less and less people are in the pews who are bothered by the idea that God created marriage and that it is a man and a woman and babies show up. And that's part of the system. Like, like, and, and how reasonable this is. Like if you, if you were one to believe in aliens seeding the planet through macroevolution, you might think that it were possible that man and woman existed to progenate the species. You might, you might just think that, right? Uh, and yet our, our religion teaches it, uh, that it was done, designed and on purpose. So yeah, uh, but to get back to it, to believe it, we're in a, we're a society fully in rebellion against it. And Sarah, she also chimed in. She said, uh, women want adventure too, not just quilting circles. What? Uh, what? Of course you only want quilting circles. <laughs> Let's do axe throwing for girls only. You know, I said that the first time we did a shooting event at my parish, uh, one of the ladies said, you know, the girls like to shoot too. And, and I said, then start a girl shooting group. <laughs> That's the first thing I said. So it doesn't have to be like gender binding or something, right? I mean, if if you like to knit and, and sew, like people do, and that's awesome, and that shouldn't be demeaned. And if you want to go shoot some targets, that shouldn't be demeaned either. The point is to support who you are in God in Christ, what you've been designed to be. And you're going to get that from those of similar experience while you sojourn with one of dissimilar experience, but you know, also uh, what a communion of souls, as it were, the marriages, um, while you sojourn. And that doesn't mean that you rely on your ladies group and your lady friends more than your spouse or vice versa. That would be quite wrong also, but it does mean that you support each other in being the roles you have, whatever that might be, father, husband, worker, etc. Etc. And I used etc. right in so many ways there. The only thing I didn't do was a promo for issues. Oh, that was fun. I didn't even try. We'll just go to the super chat real quick and say, Vernie, thank you so. Oh, I will. I will try to go to the super chat real quick, real quick and say, there we go, Vernie. He says, uh, do a backflip safely. <laughs> Not for two bucks, brother. <laughs> Not for two bucks. Hey, I have been working on. I, I pulled. I don't want to boast about this because I really, I'm self-taught and so I don't know that much, but I, um, I once saw a documentary on yoga and, uh, in this said documentary, I, um, I saw how they could balance standing on their elbows and their head. You know, if you go like really deep in yoga, right? Like you're serious. And, um, I always thought that was pretty cool. And so I, I, as I've just been doing my own sort of stretching routine every morning, it's not really yoga because no one's yogiing me. I'm just, you know, I, I found some really awesome stretches and I rely on them. I listen to music and think about words from Jesus that I've memorized, right? So so whatever, whatever that is, carpus is kind of what I've been calling it myself. But whatever that is, uh, uh, in the midst of all of that, I realized I was doing a stretch on my back because I got such a terrible back that that I would do the stretch, I go all the way upside down, pull my legs, pull on my toes. And it's like, it's pain, but it's so good pain. And uh, you know, I was doing that and I realized I could almost do a full inversion upside down 
from that position on the back of my neck. And I started doing it. I started practicing it. I was like, well, wait a minute. What would happen if I tried to do it on my elbows and my head? What if I used a wall first? Oh, that's a good idea. So I've been working on this. And uh, along with all of the having to get up for it of the last two days, two days ago, I think it was sometime in the afternoon, I pulled a full non-wall solid 20 seconds, head, elbows only. You might as well come and bow down and call me guru. I don't know, but it's awesome. It's so much fun. Oh my goodness. So um, get into whatever you get into. I'm not going to do a backflip for you, but you may eventually see me, uh, Vernie, I'll, pull, I'll bring you back up with the super chat. You may eventually see me do that uh, online for you, but not for $2. Ah, yeah, not for $2. So I want to move into the, uh, for the sake of those who are going to pull this video and use it for something more, um, that's beyond even just mad Christianity, but uh, in the area of the pro-life community here in, in Rockford, Illinois, or at least I should say of, of a, the area of, of a life affirming those who believe humans have value and that death is bad and we should care for each other in death and not kill each other generally, right? Um, that community in Rockford <laughs> uh, has an organization that uh, is, is pretty important. And so um, uh, they, they blessed me by asking me to be one of their speakers, not a primary, but an invoker uh, at the event. It's sort of a, it's a pan-denominational, unofficially, it's not really officially Christian at all um, event. I don't think it is, um, but uh, uh, it's intentionally pan uh, so it'd be like, it's almost like a chaplaincy kind of moment. Uh, so I was asked to do that, but then they had to cancel because of COVID. Right. And now it's not, it's all virtual. What? And like, and so they called me like, so can you like maybe go to a video recording place and, and do something or do it with your phone and like send it to us? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so that's what we're going to do. I have it kind of prepared. Um, I'm even going to just lay it out. Oh, oh. That's the wrong one, though. There we go. Like that. I'm just going to lay out some of it right here. So uh, it'll, when it comes in or when I get to start. Um, uh, what I need is right in front of me. So uh, for your sake, though, again, as, as a watcher, just uh, take this as instructional. It's, it's going to have a little bit of, uh, um, no, it's going to be serious, right? It's going to be me. Um, but the goal here is part of promoting and keeping this organization alive um, and well and supporting women in need. And again, I'll talk about that uh, as I get there. So um, this is supposed to be five minutes. So uh, I see the super chats in the side. I appreciate those. I'll get to those. If I go too far over five minutes, somebody help me. <laughs> I shouldn't go more than five minutes. So, um, okay, we're gonna come back from a break, and we'll be we'll be on it. Hang tight. Uh, let's see. I gotta make sure that I have that right, though. This should work. Hey, Internet, I want to talk to you about, about The Haven, and hello, those who love The Haven. Uh, thank you for supporting The Haven. When my wife and I lost our first child, I, I didn't, I, I had no way to process it. I knew what I believed in terms of the salvation of Jesus Christ on mankind. And we don't know, go into details about what happens to who. Well, that's why denominations exist, because we fight about that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I meant was I didn't have the tools to emotionally deal with what had just happened. And uh, especially because it happened as my wife was taken away in, a, in an ambulance, um, bleeding. She had been bleeding for hours in the tub because the hospital is in this home and told us that's what we should do. 
You'll forgive me if I'm a little emotional about that. When we lost our third child, the same way, and we were in North Dakota, and thank God the hospital there had a unit that said, no, you deliver this dead baby here. And uh, it was still a hard experience. It was, it was better. To this day, my wife weeps monthly, and I struggle to know how to support her. And the pain of these, these three children, um, not full term, not close to full term, midterm. Uh, one of them was not mid. So when I learned that Rockford had an, a special unit called the Haven, who offer life-affirming services for families who have experienced the death of a baby. <laughs> Jeez. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and when I learned that they were working to network with more across the country, in spite of what local municipalities and state governments would do to stop them from helping people who just had some baby die. That's all they want to do. All because of the engine of money-making, death-creating abortion and abortifacients, which, of course, along with our Lord and Savior Kronos, we must respect at all costs. Let the reader understand. So as we gather for this socially distanced COVID hygiene conscience event of support, prayer, and conscientious stewardship of our citizenship in both these United States and the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, please join me in invoking the thrice holy name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in nomine patri et filii et spiritus sancti. All right, we're going to come back right now. I got another one to do, and yeah, that wasn't faked one bit, and I'm only doing one take. Thank you very much. <laughs> that was enough of that for me for today. What a pain. What a pain. What a deep, deep pain. The loss of life. Um, but what we're going to do next is they, they also have me doing a closing prayer. So uh, we're going to do the same music. We're going to come back. Let me set, uh, let me set that up. Hang tight and go here. Whoosh. Uh, pull this up to there. And I got to remember that that is right there, and that should be all that we need. Lord willing, we shall see. Let's try this thing one more time. Thank you, fans, for sticking around. Really appreciate it. <clears throat> I should cough off camera. Well, well, Haven, you can cut it after this part and cut out my music because I just, I just butchered the entry. But here we go. I would, I would say, take, take one, starting now, Haven. And Moses said to the people, "Fear not." Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will again work for you today for the Egyptians whom you see today. You shall never see again for the Lord, and we must say Jesus, will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. St. John saw a new heavens and a new earth as the first heaven and the first earth pass away and the sea is no more. And he saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven as a kingdom from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And he heard a voice loud from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man. And I, John, heard a loud voice 
shouting. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for these former things will have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son, which means that you, whoever you are today, purchased by the single man's death, Jesus Christ, can know that Jesus Christ is your shepherd and you shall not want. He will make you to lie down in green pastures. He will place you beside fresh waters. He will vivify your life. So that, yeah, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there is no evil to fear because he is with you. His rod and his staff, they are a comfort to you. Do you see how he prepares a table before you in the very presence of your enemies so that your cup runneth over with certainty? Tov v'keseth. Goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. For you will dwell in the body of Jesus Christ, aeon unto aeon, forever and ever. And my friends, that is the meaning of the word. Amen. Hey, Internet. Hey, I made it. I almost didn't, and I really didn't, because I still need to blow my nose. But it was like Superman-ish, and then it was the most amazingly awful thing ever. So I'm like, I'm like taking the clerical open, right? It's just like a button-up shirt. But then the top button, if you get the nicer ones, is um, not part of the shirt. It's a little tiny metal tab that you put in, and then that hooks onto the, the collar that attaches and hooks to another tab in the back. Well, see, I had my crucifix on over all of this, and as I tried to, I got all the way out of the shirt, and as I tried to pull it around it caught my chain on the back of the that little tab and it yanked the whole thing yep i'm not kidding you up and into my throat (laughs) i stopped before i hurt myself but i was like no i'm not gonna make the change they'll never have me back for another tryout (laughs) in any case i'm gonna give you that music one more time so i can truly be ready we're gonna get right back to the show proper in a moment Uh, I i gotta time it better it doesn't go like right as you click it but that'll work that'll work that'll get us in and out I hope to have more music. I have more music. I hope to have more of it useful for us so that that kind of thing is not the same piece repeatedly. But um, thank you for the support as always because, again, that's what creates the leverage for me to have the time, honestly, to learn these tools. And learning, again, Final Cut, it's been at least four or five years since I worked in Final Cut. Doesn't seem to have really been updated much. Maybe they got a new one. I just got to buy the new one now. I don't know. But, 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 but um, you know, getting back into that world is like learning a whole new language all over again. Uh, it's an old art form. I miss it so much. So I'm glad to do it. I'm excited that this is part of what Mad Christianity is in any case. Um, but it still is very much the learning curve moment. I saw a whole bunch of super chats went through. Oh, on the air. Did that work? You could see it. A whole bunch of super chats went through, including uh, Jordan. Thank you for the uh, phenomenally 
significant one. I appreciate that very much. The rest of you, no less. In fact, I'm even going to put you over the top of, of, uh, of Jordan there just for a moment, and we'll take you in that order. Can I? Oh, I can't do that. Uh, Drecky, you checked in with 10 bucks and said, what advice would you give an improving introverted and single seminarian about to be sent on Vicarage? Oh, and you're giving me more Latin than I can, I can pick down. Uh, pick down. Pick up. You laid it down, and I want to pick it up. Quoque ob hos laboras tuas pro nobis. Yeah, I, I speak like American, right? Multas gratias tibi. Um, unless I practice it for liturgy, I probably can't pronounce it. But uh, something about the labor and grace or charity, maybe. Um, to and nobis. I should know what nobis is. In any case, uh, and I should also, since I'm talking to the internet and you, do you want to see my eyeballs? There we go. There we go. There, uh, what are we going to do? We'll do it like that. Is that good TV right there? Hello, Max Headroom. Um, what advice would I have? Oops. I hope I can get that back. My advice to you is, I don't know. Pray? That is, um, golly, they really make this difficult here. Can I do it this way? I'm sorry, everybody who's listening. I'm, I'm messing with the, ah! If you had a picture right now, that'd be really sweet, wouldn't it? Um, all right. What advice will give to a single man going out on vicarage? Yeah, I mean, it's late in the game, right? Like, whoa. Now I'm going to be like a year and a half away from being sent out on call to the same place in the middle of nowhere where there's like four eligible girls and next year they go to college, right? So, uh, away, (laughs) right? So what do you do? Um, I I don't know what to advise you um, in, in any like binding way. In terms of, like, advice. I mean, obviously, remain celibate in your singleness, right? Like, duh. But, like, where to go? Where to find someone? Um, it's almost like if... It's almost like... I, I, what, would, what would happen? I don't even know if they'd let you do this. Here's my advice. Ask this question. After you don't meet someone on Vicarage, because you could, and you don't meet someone fourth year, because you could... And you're going to go out on vicarage, or you're going to go out on first call, and you're like, this is not good. Then implore, beg, cheat, steal, don't do those two parts. But you don't get the idea uh, of whoever is in power to give you a deferral so that you may have two years to move to some place where there's a big Lutheran church with lots of people. Spend two years there as a layperson supporting yourself. Don't expect any help from the church. You just move in. You're going to join the church. You're going to go to church. You're going to love the church. You're going to vote in favor of the pastor to support him unless he's a heretic. Then you're going to run him out of town. But then you don't want to be doing that. You want to find a girl. So don't go to that church, <laughs> you know, and, um, and and take two years. And then, you know, if, if you want a strategy, right, um, that'd be realistic to me. Internet dating has worked for some. I've never tried it, so I can't really advise it. I probably would try it if I had to. I would not want to, but I would. If I realized that there was no other option and I was ready to get married again post-grieving my own wife's death, that I hope doesn't happen until right around precisely the same moment as mine, it'd be nice. <laughs> if you know what I mean. So so it's hard to like even put myself in those boots, but I would use every tool at my available fingertips, and the internet would be one of those. I would believe in the value of the first article, and I'd learn how to use it as a Christian. Right? And I'd try to meet the, the most Christian woman I could meet. And then I try to convince her that Lutheranism is the way to go because it's just Christianity. And then, and, you know, we'd be, we'd be off to the races. So you got two years for that too. You get, you actually could do the online stuff now if you want to do. Um, but uh, I think that's, I think that's a good answer for you now. I, I, I know I, I left out the kind of the most main thing, but it's the trite thing. It's trite because it gets repeated. And so it becomes just a mantra and it isn't really a comfort 
Telling somebody to pray is not a comfort to them. It is a discomfort to them. They are feeling bad because if they're a Christian, they have prayed and it's not feeling like they wanted it to. <laughs> and so telling them to pray is just going to hurt their conscience. And they're like, the law is just going to crush them. Pray is the law, right? It's not the gospel. Uh, so I don't want to give that to you as, as kind of hope. But I will say this, that your father in heaven knows what you need and is preparing it for you. If you're going into the ministry, you are also preparing not only to receive, but to give out crowns of glory. And it may indeed be that celibacy is your holy calling. You don't know until you get married, do you now? So in that regard, right, pray to the Lord of the harvest uh, that he would send a laborer to be in your vineyard. That might bring forth fruitful vines around your table, olive shoots and branches. But why do you want to get married? That's a good question. Why do you want to get married? What are you after? What do you want? Now, if it's all good, healthy, theologically sound things, healthy doctrine things, well, cool, 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 cool. But that's a good question to ask. What are you after? Yeah. So good stuff. Good stuff. Great question. Thank you for the support. Oh, Jordan's hanging down there with this $99. Thank you. Hey, Pastor Fisk, thanks for all you've done helping me crawl through the muck of evangelicalism and divorce. Yeah, God bless you. Back towards the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sorry to hear about your losses. And I know, yeah, talking about the the recent, um, the Haven stuff this morning. I know what it is like with my own peace. I think there are a lot of people who know and it's an unspoken thing, and I don't know if we got the Puritans or ourselves to blame for it, I, whatever, um, to have those, to have hospital units that are trained to engage people to see the value of their dead baby <laughs> and to mourn and grieve it and have the time and space to do that, to not have to take it home in a box or have it just taken away from you. You don't get a choice. Um, you know, that, that's, uh, that's the thing. That's the thing, right? And I, I think lots of people know this pain. Lots of people know this pain, including pagans, including pagans. Uh, Dean, uh, your, your $2 from, no, no, it was Verdi that said the $2 from earlier. Where'd your other one, Verdi, go? You're the one that fell off. There you go. You had a $5. There you go. Thanks, Verdi. I, I wasn't trying to mock you too hard um, on the two bucks. It's just, you know, to, to set up the camera and like to get upside down and not look like a complete fool. It's hard, right? So, um, you know, sorry for not being around as much. It's 2345 in Queensland. He says, uh, Australia performing in a better time will earn more Australian dollars. <laughs> well, I can't do much about that one for you, but you could start a show for yourself. I'm sure it'd be useful for those poor Australians. Aussies who uh, have to hang out and wait for me. Um, so, go do, do, do. I think we got through all that. I got Jamie Dune. I, I lost it. There you are. Um, you need to study Kung Fu. You'd love it. You know, I would like to study a martial art. This is true. Uh, I, I, I am leaned. Should we ever be allowed on a mat within six feet of someone? I don't know. Within the direction of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, only because if you're going to learn one, you might as well learn the one that lets you actually win no matter what, unless you're terrible. So, you know, unless you're, the guy's better than you at that. So, and granted, you know, a, a, a black belt in karate is going to beat a green belt in, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's not my point. That's not my point. But if you look at the um, what international martial arts, UFC, all this has taught us, it's pretty clear that you want to build around Brazilian jiu-jitsu and whatever thing, everything else is frosting and flair. Uh, now, I am a I am a couch potato uh, viewer of that. I've never paid once to watch any of it. I just listened to Joe Rogan and a couple other guys who happen to be really into it. And it, it, it seems obvious to me. So yes, I would love to do that. The trick is finding the time. Um, I'd love to do it with my whole family. I want my kids to grow up doing something like that. But thank you for all of that. Okay, so let's get back to the uh, scheduled programming, which can be done. Hmm. I'm trying to get that uh, chunk chunk gun loading sound to come in there, but it's not, it's not doing it for me. I must have, 
moved that file and so that's a bad link all right so let's get back to your questions and all sorts of answers army of layman corn cod said this one last week i think i liked your answer about layman doing theological podcasts as a layman i wrote for christian news on and off back in the 90s well wow 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 that is that that's a that's some history right there uh, i am a layman still i contend that if layman don't get involved in the lcms battle for the bible in the 70s contended that uh, the missouri old boy network would have won and the Senate would be part of the mainstream liberal Protestant establishment today. Yeah, I think that is is very much correct. It was the layman who did stop it from happening. Because I think our system of voting is pretty silly, actually. The more I think about it theologically, I mean, I, I know why Walter did it. Um, uh, but it doesn't really do what we hoped that it would stop. Like, it, we, we thought, oh, this will stop bad people. Yeah, not, not as much. Um, so, uh, you know, having thought about that, I'm just not convinced that putting uh, all the pastors with an equal number of laymen in a room and having us vote is like the, the way to solve things if we run into trouble. Uh, but it did at that moment allow the, the laymen of the church to, to keep their church because it wasn't like 100% win. They had to outvote the pastors. And the, the trick was, is, is how did they get to know? And this is where Christian News at that time was a valuable asset. How did you as a layman get to know what was going on behind the scenes with all the pastors across Senate who were, in fact, forming an old boys network to milk all the money that had been pumped into these institutions forever? And no, they're not thinking in those terms. These aren't white-collar crooks officially. They're just lazy men with too much time on their hands, probably, that they feel is... Not being useful, it's also busy, but what they're doing is, is they're draining coffers. And that happened back then. It's The old boys club's still here. It's still here. It's a mentality. I, it's not that anybody that I know who I would consider a faithful preacher of the gospel is like, I can't, I love the old boys club, but we all kind of know it's there. And we're not in it, really, most of us. But it, it's a system that protects itself. And one of the, I think, the, the great failing of the conservatives of the LCMS in the last 30 Eh, last 10 years, last 10 years, last eight years, um, is to try to save the club rather than like get as many assets of it used before it stops being a club. But that's, that's just my like, I mean, I don't know, my Cassandraism there. I'm Cassandra. I'm the fool, remember? But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So lay, lay involvement for, for heaven's sakes, lay involvement in your congregation, massive doesn't mean you have to be chairman. You should talk to your pastor. You should know what's going on. You should read the newsletters. If he sends stuff out or says, go listen to this, or says, you should read a book, you should do it. Like, totally do it. <laughs> Otherwise, your church might not be there for your kids. Straight up. Yeah, straight up. Uh, so, uh, keeping on flat earth. Yeehaw. I, I, have I talked about this before? I don't think I have. You know what I'm going to do, though? Because it's really bugging me. I'm trying to grow my hair out. It's getting there. It's coming. But it was just the way it was. I can't take it anymore. So you might not notice, you might not care, and it's pure vanity. But I have to stare at this mug while I talk to you, and I, you know, I got, I got to deal with it. So like, I still, it's just so, it's almost there. Ah, yeah, yeah. Hello, Pastor Fisk. Recently, a friend of mine and I have been discussing flat Earth arguments and what the Bible has to say about it. Oh, really? Mm, okay. He leans toward the idea that the Bible does, in fact, say that the Earth is flat. And I do not agree. Good. <laughs> uh, do you have any insights into this that I could share with him? We both generally appreciate everything you do. Well, cool. I'm glad you both appreciate what I do, Madeline. I would need the Bible verses that he's relying on. I've not dug into this because I, 
I must admit, I, I generally dismiss the idea that you could prove from the Bible such a thing at all. And on any level, the Bible really doesn't exist to do this. There's a great, great guy. There's a guy out there named Ken Hoven who I, I ran across when I was like 19. I was like, oh, this guy is so smart. And no, no, he's a bit of a huckster, really. Uh, but uh, he, he has all these ways of like saying, well, so the Bible says this, so therefore, the Bible says this, so therefore. And he like yanks everything way out of context. It has nothing to do with Jesus. And he makes these pronouncements that, frankly, you just can't make. The Bible just doesn't say that. The four corners of the earth. Oh, really? That's where you get the flat earth? Yeah. Um, how would I say this? Uh, hmm. I wanted to insult gently and friendly uh, with some sort of mixed metaphor, but I did not come up with one fast enough. So instead, um, the four corners of the earth, I shouldn't mock, the four corners of the earth argument is nonsense. That's like arguing that this is my body is symbolic. It, it is effectively the same linguistic move. You're looking at a text you have no idea what the text means, otherwise you wouldn't do this. And so you decide to create a symbol in the situation. Uh, um, and uh, you're looking at, or I should say, you're looking at a text and you're deciding that because of what it says, um, and because of what it would mean, uh, you're going to ignore the substance of it. Ah, I'll start this one over again. Four corners of the earth. It's a symbol. It's a symbol. Nothing but a symbol. It's evidently a symbol. How would a Hebrew talking about the world, the way everybody else does in all their literature too, talk about the world? They talk about the four corners of the earth. Why? Because there's four directions on a map. Because that's what you lived with. That's how you knew where you are. Go that way, that way, that way, or that way. Four corners. Cardinal directions. It's, it's the same idea. It's a symbolic way of talking about it. To, to then presume that they're talking about cosmology is just ridiculous. Now, with the Lord's Supper, I, what I got confused on there earlier is that I inverted it. So you look at a symbol, you call it real. See what I'm doing that now? Yeah? And as opposed to looking at something real and calling it a symbol. Uh, same kind of move, right? Uh, what do we do with, like, the five loaves and two fish that Jesus made? Like, is that something that we should, should we, like, always have dinner with five loaves of bread and two fish or something? Or is it just what happened? And how would you know? Well, you'd know by reading the rest of the gospel and find out whether or not they keep talking about the bread and the fish, whether Jesus at some point says something like, I'm not talking about bread, guys. Uh, I'm talking about like uh, the leaven of false teaching here right now. <laughs> you know, so, so using the Bible to support these kinds of arguments is nonsensical. What you can do is you can, you can see that the biblical authors had a, we would call inerrant knowledge of historical events of their time period. So when they say there's a city somewhere, it's there. The ruins are there, right? That's that's there. That kind of science. But but there there is no, uh, you know, uh, how how does the quark work? It's just not there. And you're you're doing it, and you're doing it with something that's just gonna make you sound like a kook, and no one's gonna listen to anything else you say after you adopt this thing that really has no real substance, nor history in the church. Speaking of which, yeah. um, I, I, there was they talk about the Earth being flat. Most of that's a myth, I think. Like the idea that everyone walked around, oh, the earth is flat. The earth, no, they just didn't know. They didn't know anything. They're just like, I go that way, that way, that way, that way. Who, who, who knew they were on an earth? Right? They knew they had land, the land. And they knew east, west, they had the four directions they could go. It's all, I mean, don't assume so much about the, the people of old. And then don't assume so little about them either. They understood the four corners of the earth probably far better than we do. So... Good question. I don't mean to be mean. Uh, I, I hope I didn't offend you. Since you both well, listen, I, I think I was mean there. I think I was rude. I'm sorry. I apologize. Look at my sticker on my mug. There we go. That almost makes it better, right? No, not at all. One moment. I'm going to turn the volume down. 
Thank you for letting me. Oh, I, you got the gulp on there, and then didn't you? Thank you for letting me take that drink. Okay, so I want to move on for a moment. Actually, did I miss a super chat? I missed a couple super chats. Let's go down here. Oh my goodness. Did we get you already? Yes, we gave you. Ain't Paul says. Howdy, Vernie. Here's some Aussie dollar for Papa Fisk. That's cool. What does Papa mean in Aussie? Like, is that a thing? Uh, and then Jenna Knight jumps in. He says, uh, fun little detail about Bible proof against flat earth. When Jesus comes back, he mentions different tasks, working in fields and bed, etc. These are time zones for a round earth. Oh, all at the same time. Interesting. Ooh. Huh. I'm still, I still think that goes against my saying or my, my argument here that, that he's just, the Bible's just not there to make that argument either way. Vernie again makes it rain. Thank you, Vernie. I mocked you for $2 and now you're probably spending your bread money, right? Please don't do that. So thank you for making it rain. That is, that is funny. Um, although not the best, well, it depends on the context. I want to talk about, well, speaking of that a little bit here, um, I've been reading this book. I talked about it last week. I only got like three more pages read this week, but it's so deep and it impacts everything I do so much um, that I, I just can't absorb more than that and keep everything else in the air that's in the air. But this is one of the notes that came out of it. And then it's also connected to, excuse me. It's also connected to uh, something called The Hustle, which is a newsletter that you could subscribe to if you are not going to unsubscribe to Mad Mondays because of it. The Hustle is kind of like Mad Mondays, but not for Christians. Uh, and um, they have another version, uh, a paid one, pretty cheap, called Trends. And it sends out different stuff looking kind of deep dive at market analysis in America, across, actually globally today. Um, why would a pastor read that? I don't know. I find it interesting, strangely. Um, it, just, it just compels me, but I also think it has a lot to do with how we would proclaim the gospel in the market today, because it is a marketplace of ideas. And yes, the church is not here to be a shop. Of course, it's not here to be a shop, but our culture's a shop. So you have to be in the culture. So, uh, you know, your congregation is a shop, whether you realize it or not. That's what it is. For everybody who walks in who hasn't been there before, they're shopping. Uh, and so, you know, thinking about it as your club is why no one will join it. Uh, anyway, 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 uh, reading trends... Uh, and the various things they send out, there was a thing about, it was like a little document had like four or five futurists who were talking about the post-COVID changes two, three, four years from now. And now if you don't like the term futurist, I don't, I don't blame you, I guess. Um, the idea is a little bit misunderstood, I think. And the document did a pretty good job of showing how what a futurist does is they take market analysis data, like, like, uh, numbers from what happened before, right? Uh, I'm a layman on this one too, right? Uh, and then they crunch it using computer algorithms to produce models, which they then compare and they show kind of like uh, Dr. Strange looking at all possible futures in Endgame. Uh, or was it, that was, it was Infinity War. Yeah, it was Infinity War. Um, kind of like that. And then they can see what the majority is and they kind of tell you where the directions are likely to lean, it's a fascinating industry, probably far more boring than it sounds to be a futurist. You have to do a lot of numbers. So you're an accountant in some ways. Yeah. Which oh, if you're an accountant, it's not boring at all. I swear. Just for me. <laughs> Just for me. Um, we need accountants for people like me who are trouble for the world without them. Uh, so so I, it, they sent that document. And in it, you know, every one of these futurists is like at some high level university, like Harvard, you know, the, the seated chair for futurism forever from Harvard. Like it's like that. Right. And so and they're these really cool looking pictures and they all seem so awesome. Like, why am I not as cool as these people today? I should be as cool as these people today. I should be as good as them. Right. So it's all like crushing you. But then, um, you know, reading what they're talking about, it was really valuable. And then this guy, Jamie, Jamie Metzl, 
Um, his was not my favorite overall piece, but he had this line, and, and he teaches at this place called Singularity University, which I'm very curious about. It's a newer university, private upstart geared at like high-end tech innovation. Like if Silicon Valley funded a university, you'd get Singularity University, and I think that's actually what happened. I don't know, though. I don't know. I just know all the names are associated with it. And it's a little wiggy, religious-y, culty-looky-ishy, but, but I don't think that's what it is. Um, I don't know. Uh the reason I'm really interested in them is because if you want to start a university, you got to watch the people who did it recently, don't you? So, what? Yes. Uh, but what he said was this, and I think it's far more important than what I just said. He said, we're realizing that life is serious business. And he's talking about crunching the numbers for a post-COVID world. What are we getting from COVID? And this guy, who's at the top of the top, this guy's cream, okay? I don't know how he got there. He's a God among men in terms of human views, right? No, not Christian God, little g. And uh, um, he says, what we're realizing as a civilization is that life is serious. Um, I'm stopping that blur there for a moment. I don't know. I, I think I've been told my whole life that I'm too serious. So maybe that's why... I'm kind of happy about some of the things that have happened as a result of COVID, not COVID and not a lot of things that have happened as a result of COVID, but there have been some really good things that have happened. Like people telling me how much time they're spending with their kids and how they love it. Like, well, that's a gift from God, ain't it? Yeah. So maybe, maybe my seriousness already just wasn't blown over like everybody else's. And now everyone else is coming down to my level of serious. I don't know. But, you know, when he says this, I think this is, I think this is huge because I think it's a real honest criticism of our civilization. And you cannot say, if you try to say, well, I'm not like my civilization, then you are. That's the definition of it. The moment you think it doesn't blind you, it, it does. Fish don't see water. Not, not, not that way. Huh? And, and so you don't know everything that civilization has taught you to assume. You assume it to be true. You don't test it. That's the problem. That's the point. That's how the modern matrix of darkness gets you, right? And if you haven't seen the matrix, it's your first assignment as a mad Christian is to go watch the matrix and realize it's about Christianity, not on purpose. Would that it were, it would have been better. <laughs> yeah, but, but it is, it is about getting unplugged from the devil's matrix of darkness that doesn't go into the back of your head as a computer program, but goes into your eyes and your ears as lies like a virus. Think of your eyes the way the blue cat people's tails worked on that planet that was like Jupiter but not and stuff in the big movie with 3D and people call it Avatar or something, right? Yeah, that one. You know, the tails just plugged in. Okay, well, your eyeballs and your ears just plug in to Logos and Pathos and Ethos. And it's, it's a world run by a great archdemon. He's under check and control at the moment. And actually, he's wounded mortally and shall not rise again. But it's pretty intense stuff. So realizing that life might be serious business would be good for all of us. You know, I'm call me what? Mad? Yeah. Crazy? Because we are Christians. Because Singularity University does not think there's an archdemon running all the conspiracies of the planet into one giant zeitgeist aimed at destroying humanity at all costs. Namely through getting us to not believe in Christ. I believe that, you know, you do too. If you're a Christian in theory, you just maybe don't put two and two together every morning right away. 
and you probably should. That's what the creed's for, you know? So realizing life is serious, I, uh, yay, good. We need frivolity, he says, which, which is good too. And this is nice because the real danger, I think, in what? Those of strong hand and iron fist who hold the chains of government today, the threat might be what you would call overreach, over-seriousness, not understanding the situation for what it really is, a time to learn about hygiene consciousness and prepare the culture for something that Ebola, like Ebola that would eventually do this and, and be that bad. Right, so we could really be afraid of that one, but use this one to not scare people and instead get us to really learn the real stuff. But instead, we make money by scaring people and keeping ourselves in power. So that's what the Matrix is doing right now. But we do need some frivolity while we do that. No, you need a lot. You can't get very serious. Yeah, but, but the thing is, behind the scenes, those who are, those who have the power, they're getting so serious on this stuff. They need some frivolity. I am with you on that one. My governor, dear Mr. Pritzker, I respect your office. And I tell you, you overreach. You overreach and you are too serious. You should lighten up on your state because you are sucking the life right out of Illinois. That being said, uh, and if you want to clip it and post it somewhere, that'd be fun. But uh, yeah, no one's going to care except Illinoisians. And do we even rise ever or do we just sit there and let them do to us whatever they want to do to us? Because that's what I see. I just moved here. I just moved here and a good friend, not a good friend, a local pastor <laughs> moved to where a good friend is, a place called Texas. I thought, <laughs> Illinois, can we be like Texas? Can we do it? This country out here in Rockford, did you know that? It's kind of cool. Anyway, uh, that'd be frivolity. We need frivolity, but. We need frivolity, but. We need frivolity, but. Now, what he said after the but could have been so good. And it wasn't bad, but it could have been so good. So I'm going to try. COVID is teaching you, me, everybody else, that life is serious business. We need frivolity, but a civilization can neither stand nor build upon frivolity. And that is what we've been trying to do for a good long while. Caitlyn Jenner, frivolity. Hollywood opinions and the Kardashians, frivolity. Club sports, frivolity. Getting married late in life, not having kids, frivolity. We cannot stand or fall. Or we, not, we cannot stand nor build if we, uh, if we are frail. And frivolity and frailty are not of the same root to my knowledge, but they should be because the point of frivolity is that you never do build. You never strengthen. You never stand. There is no pattern that is ever formed. Your brain cannot establish a coherent thought a second time. That would require thought, which is serious business, unless it will be frivolous. And if it is frivolous, it is not strengthened. It cannot be repeated. It cannot stand. It cannot build. And our whole civilization has been geared toward telling you, precious little snowflakes, that you're all so frivolously beautiful and failing to mention the fire into which you are falling. Rise up. Rise up. Zion, get your eyes on Zion. Uh, Papa means father, homie. Sweet. Papa Fisk. It's like Papa Roach, right? Who I don't know much about at all. At all. But thank you, Aunt Paul, for that super chat. I should show it out again. It means Father Homie. I am Papa Fisk, which it also means Pope, by the way. Just just so you know that's what Pope comes from. It's from the Papa. Keeping going down. Paracausal. Now, there was an email about paracausalism. And this is going to be fun and geeky and a little, a little definitely geeky. So, 
if this one's esoteric for you, please understand uh, we, we all have our moments. Uh, I read Fist, something random for you. There's an interesting word from the Destiny game franchise's lore that I wish were used in theology, and I think you might find it interesting. Paracausal. It means, like it sounds, something that is outside the bounds of cause and effect. So like para is like outside of or around of. It's one of those prepositions that we get from Greek that have like 13 meanings, but only one like main one and three secondaries and all these weird ones. So can they, usually they can mean almost anything if you wanted to, like in poetry. Um, but para, we then adopt that as some of our root structure for English, and it would mean like around or on the outside of. Uh, so a para church organization is not a congregation. It's outside of the congregation. Uh, so paracausal would be outside of cause and effect. Again, this is taken from a video game called Destiny. It's a franchise that should have been awesome because it's from the makers of Halo, but then it didn't quite work out. But now apparently it's better, but I'm not going back because I got other things to play. I gave you my time, Destiny, and you didn't make you didn't make good on it when you had it. So, but apparently it's it's cool. People really like it. It's like a massive multiplayer online first person shooting, you know, raiding, hoarding, killing spree against evil aliens to save the planet. So, you know, it, there's worse things in life than this. And in their lore, which I've heard can also be pretty esoteric, um, you they they have all these ideas, right? They have this whole story of a whole civilization. This is why nerds do this. They like to geek out on false worlds. I do this, I can't help it, because I think diversity is fun. Um, what what geeks could learn is that the real world's just as interesting, um, but what the rest of the world could learn is that the imagination is just as interesting, only more so at times. And so, so with that being, right, uh, Destiny has geek deep level thinking about like philosophical structures and things, right? And the gamers who are into that part of it really, really like it. So they're within that, they have a dogmatic term as if we aren't having enough trouble getting people to understand our own, let the reader understand, Jonathan, uh, there's a dogmatic term called paracausal. Again, that means outside cause and effect. That's not inside the reality that we have. And what the reader now, the writer, Jonathan, wants to get to you is that in Destiny, it's used to talk about creatures with the power to change reality around them by sheer force of will doing space magic. But theologically, if we apply this to our knowledge of God, our Father, and Jesus in our... Well, Jesus from, Jesus in, all of those things. Not trying to be anti-Trinitarian here. And, and Jesus who... Pros- who is begotten of the Father, and the Spirit who proceeds. If we're going to use these, this idea to talk about our God and knowing Him, the Word describes the type of nature or power that God has, the unlimited ability to change reality outside the bounds of cause and effect. You know, bread and wine, that kind of thing. And, and maybe it applies to the angels too. Uh, maybe. Uh, to, to a lesser extent, though, yeah, as, if it's their vocation, vocation. Like, the angels have vocations. They would have jobs. And if their job is to move reality beyond reality, but my guess would be that the angels are more likely moving the reality as it's supposed to move. So gravity is not just a force with nothing. I'm not saying there's an angel named gravity. I don't know. We're not supposed to worry about that, right? But I'm pretty sure the angels are in creation, not actually outside of it, right? So they are not supernatural in that regard. They are natural. The only thing supernatural is is God. Uh, So if we're going to be technical about our terminology. Meanwhile, okay, so we want to apply this paracausal to, to Jesus uh, as an idea that would be like, you know, when he does work such as miracles, these are paracausal. A miracle is a is a is an outside of cause and effect event in history, the resurrection most of all. So cool. Thanks for that. I, I don't know that I'm going to adopt it, but it is cool to see how, and I love this, in, in all the fantasy and, and sci-fi and geek gamey stuff I do, um, that's what I'm digging for myself. It's just different ways to imagine my own faith. And it doesn't matter if anybody else picks up on it. I can think of it that way. It helps me 
put it into a, a, a context or a vocabulary for my own head, which by remembering those words, they remain there and I can use them again to strengthen myself or others. And so the, the value of paracausal will be how much does it strengthen you to remember it and use it? And then how much does it strengthen you to use it to teach? Yeah. So cool stuff. Uh, a little bit of a longer bit here. So I'm going to take a moment, get a little drink. It's been right just about an hour. We shall return in a moment. I hit the wrong one and we are back. Thank you so much for giving me that moment to catch my breath and get back to what you want more of your questions, our answers going deep here for a moment. Grace under manic pressure in the clip. It will make you mad. Capital M A D. I heard you say that you could be manic at times. I know it's one thing to say it, but it made me tilt my head. Yeah. So if we're going to get into, let's say manic depressive disorder, I will just go ahead and say I'm not. Um, but I was looked at when I was young because I definitely battle um, depression, right? But the manic side of it never really is what manic depression would require, if that makes sense. I've known people who do have this, and I know people who struggle with it. Um, so maybe we can talk about that a little bit more as we move forward here or not. But to know that that's out there um, as a thing in the world and that Christians struggle with that, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, manic reality is something that, uh, well, we need more information. Let me just say this. When I was young, I was like 17 when they were looking at me, um, uh, I learned that manic depression, schizophrenia, bipolar, multiple personality disorder, those are all different. And people talk about them like they're the same thing sometimes. And it, they're quite different. And anybody who has them has a trial and a struggle. That doesn't mean they can't be a Christian. And so knowledge of these things is what, what I want to get at is, uh, is valuable. Um, so there's no doubt there's a lot going on inside the beautiful mind of, mind of your speech. Did you do that on purpose? Because there's a mind about, there's a, there's a movie about uh, schizophrenia called Beautiful Mind. I've never seen it. Russell Crowe. Um, I don't believe I'm schizophrenic either, just for the record. Uh, I... <laughs> I am crazy, but not that kind. I don't know how you do everything. Clearly, you're an instrument of Christ. God be praised. I have a great family. That's how. And then uh, that extends to the family before me, right? who made me, who raised me and gave me opportunities, which uh, some might call those privileges, um, but they're both. And uh, thankfully, they were given to me. So I am what I am by the grace of God, as, as Paul himself says. Thank you. Um, uh, manic. So if I use the word manic, it just means like, I have a lot of thoughts and I, and I want them all to be true and they're never all going to be true. It's more, I would, it's probably better described as um, creatively impulsive uh, than manic because uh, sleep is not the problem. In fact, it was, it was not sleeping for not manic reasons. It, it, it was not sleeping for apnea reasons. That was my real, my real sleep issue in the world. So anyhow, moving forward though, my clinical mania always is a bunch of nonsense coupled with intense spiritual warfare and small golden bits of the mystery of our faith. I think that's true for anybody. So again, mania technically, I think, not just manic, but mania as a term is used to describe various levels of disorder. And while you could say that, to say what I'm going to say is, is not technically right, I think it is, there's a spectrum for all of it. And like, we're all on all of it somewhere. Like everyone in the world's on the autism spectrum. Like you're just way over on 0 0.0001 or whatever, right? And so, that, I mean, that's kind of the, the way that the science has moved. Um, so we all have manias. And if you just want to describe it as, you know, the way <laughs> Tim Ferriss calls it the monkey mind. And we all got monkey minds. It doesn't mean we're all crazy, like, like, like lock us up crazy. It does mean we're all sinful and unclean and our minds are broken. Our logic is untrustworthy. And certainly my own eyewitnessing does not mean much, which is why everything should be established in the 
mouths and eyes of two, right? So don't don't be too hard on yourself. But the I, I think all people, what, regardless of what you specifically may have, diagnosed or otherwise, I think that all people who are Christians of good faith struggle with an intense spiritual warfare and small golden bits of the mystery of our faith. I think that that just describes human experience and sanctification. Um, so never go through mania without the word clutched in my hands. So you're describing like real uh, intense moments of uh, like like actual struggle, psychosocial struggle. It's my anchor in the whirlwind of affliction. Um, but I, I think I don't want to diminish that everyone who has a moment of anguish in the faith, a tentatio moment, is in a deep psychosocial struggle. And it, to, to say one or the other is worse or better, I think, is wrong. They're each what they are. They're our personal crosses to carry and to love each other through them, to bear the burden of them with each other. So uh, she goes on. I, 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 I think it was a she. I didn't see. Well, someone goes on and says, I admire your strength, courage, and gentleness when you respond to letters of opposition, such as the one writer was against the Knights Templar. That was on 516. You clearly emulate the proper function of the life of a Christian. I try, but I don't know clearly. On on video, I don't let you see it when I fail. <laughs> you know, why would I do that? I'm not going to promote that. Um, I'll tell you about it, you know. But I'm, yeah, anyway, um, thank you. Embracing the flaws in human nature. We, grace, grace alone. We have to we have to believe in grace alone, faith alone, for the sake of Christ alone. That ultimately means that's how you have to live, too. It's not like you believe one way and live a different way. Or if you are, you're a two-faced man, says James, our friend. Our friend James, he says many good things. Yes, Lutherans like James. Um, da, ba, ba, ba. Uh, so she goes on, uh, I encourage, oh, you inspire me to share the side I hide from most everyone. I don't want my vulnerability to be misunderstood. Yeah, well, that's all of us, right? We're all fighting a battle nobody else knows anything about. And generally speaking, the great fear is that in misunderstanding, we will be, we will be hurt, right? We will be hurt. Um, and so... You know, our culture, you say, uses it as a buzzword, mania, manic, that per perpetuates a widening stigma of misinterpretation. Yeah, that's what I was getting at before, right? So manic depression is a real thing. And if you're like, I am manic, technically, that's not just like really busy. Just like I am a narcissist. I'll tell you, I'm a narcissist. Now, if I went in and sat with a psychologist and they wanted to diagnose me with narcissism, um, first off, I'd know what they were doing and I'd cheat. So I'd probably more like borderline if it's that really, but I'm not borderline. Why? Because I love you. <laughs> you know? And it was borderline is people who hate. So all, all it is, is I know the game that they're playing ultimately. Uh, so to diagnose me with narcissism on some sort of scale level though, I, I don't think it would, if I was, if I was ignorant of it, I don't think you would have me on that. So to walk around saying I'm a narcissist is somewhat wrong and Christians shouldn't do that. Or to say someone else is a narcissist is wrong and we shouldn't do that. Just like we shouldn't talk about someone who's manic or even someone who's depressed if they're not actually, or even someone who has attention deficit disorder, unless, you know, they're getting prescription for it, which is also awful easy, by the way. Um, so, you know, all of that, it, we're, too, we're too wide, you're right. So I, I don't know what to do, though, when science takes a word like manic that had a meaning outside of science and then pins it to science. I can't really limit it in that regard either, right? So it's kind of a catch-22, but awareness, education, understanding what the needs are. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, going on about your, your story. Christ has brought me through every wave of bipolar disorder since age 13. A braid tumor room 15 years ago this week. Wow. Congratulations. Um, the long rehabilitation it took to regain the use and coordination of my entire left side of my body. And every human fleshly vice, and yes, the flesh is stupid, uh, that has ensnared me for a time. Christ also gives me perseverance, gentleness, and patience with my autistic son. Uh, amen. Uh, to be strong in counsel, my mom, who is immunosuppressed and also bipolar um, to your mom. I'm, I'm thinking, yes, uh, each of these life experiences are the refining fire. I need to learn to be open about my burdens. Amen to that. And, and about your shame, be open about your shame, be unashamed of your shame in the cross of Jesus. There's nothing more shameful than the crucifix. So if you're ashamed, get a crucifix and go put it on and nail it to your forehead. If you have to, I mean, don't nail it to your forehead. That's what 
get you on national news during COVID and stuff. Um, but, but like, it's between you and all. Not the metal, but him. Not the metal, but him. Uh, the refining fire to open the shame of your burden, for your shame is behind his shame now. Yeah. Lastly, thank you for the critical reminder that we are justified by Christ even as we struggle with our broken, disordered bodies. Yeah, amen. Yep, yep, yep. That's, that's the only thing pastors are supposed to remind you of, really. Uh, th- well, unless you're off a deep end being bad, then we have to tell you about it. Um, thanks for being real, keeping it real. Can I get it on the screen? Where is it? Where is it? Yeah, there you go. Uh, anchoring in and proclaiming true faith. Truth in, in the faith. God bless your wife and family. Keep me anonymous. Yep, you're anonymous. I think I think we kept it anonymous. So, from Canada, a question. Julie Thompson asks, would you come to Canada? What do you mean? Would I come to Canada? I have in the past come to Canada. So, are you are you are you offering a call? I'm not ready for that yet, so don't send any. Um, I don't know that I'll ever be. Uh, but you know, whatever. The Lord does what the Lord does. Uh, <laughs> um, but to talk, to speak, is that the idea? To visit, to vacate? British Columbia does sound nice, but it's a bit pricey for my pastor's salary, if you know what I'm saying. So, and I've been to Canada twice to teach and preach, maybe three times. Um, back during the broken days. So I've, I've been, I've been up in several necks of the woods, uh, to, to lecture and, or, or lead groups and whatnot. So if you're talking about that, well, the answer normally would be yes. However, I'm saying no to everything, not just because of COVID at the moment, but just because at the moment. Um, so you would have to reach out to me and then we would dialogue from there about what that would mean. Cause it's not like I'm saying no, no, never, but I'm, I'm telling you, like, I just, it's hard. It's hard. It's a lot of work to travel and then come back and do a show. <laughs> It's difficult. So, um, but I want to know what you mean. What do you mean? Would I come to Canada? Um, Blame Canada is a song I do know, although I don't blame Canada. Um, I can say more about your Canucks. It's a a good relationship. I heard on the, what was I listening to where they were talking about how, uh, it was was Dan Carlin, Hardcore History, Tsunami in the East. I think it must be episode three, but I just finished episode two. Oh, so good. Pearl Harbor. I had no idea. I had no, I mean, I did, I visited Pearl Harbor. My parents were sad. I was like, this is a big deal. I'm like five, you know, <laughs> but I had no idea. What a story. Dan Carlin, Hardcore History, Tsunami in the East. If you want uh, to go to, to straight to the Pearl Harbor stuff, do episode two. Episode one is about pre-World War One Japan and its transition into post-World War One Japan, i.e. Japan and World War One, which yeah, they were in World War One. Um, it's, it's fascinating too, if you like Japanese culture, but, um, oh, and I'm going to forget what, 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 what the tangent point was. He, he was talking about, oh, it was Canada and, and America getting ready for, because right before, um, right before Pearl Harbor, there's no war declared between Japan and, and the U.S. Japan's at war, though, with like Asia, like all of it, conquering it and winning. Um, and Russia, normally a Czech, can't be there to check because they're dealing with the Nazis who are like in Moscow. <laughs> like that stuff, the Ostfront and all that. So, so that's all going on. And the U.S. is like watching this and trying not to get involved because of our history of um, uh, non-interventionism, right? That we just don't get involved in foreign conflicts because it requires a standing army, which then leads to totalitarianism. Hey, look what happened after the Civil War, but don't go there. Zeitgeist, blah, blah, ignore it. I'm crazy. The point is that they weren't yet at war with Japan, but they knew they were going to be. And they were making demands the way we do today. You know, we're going to put up a blockade. We're going to stop this and that. You're not going to be able to get your trade routes going. You're going to have all these restrictions and all this. Get out of China. And the response of Japan, who knows they're going to lose the war, but they do the Doctor Strange thing of looking to the future and they see the one chance they have, and the one chance they have requires doing something kind of silly and stupid, like giving the stone to Thanos, right? They do that, and they bomb Pearl Harbor, because it's the one way they can win. And in Dan Carlin, I'll walk you through all of this. It, it, it's, it's incredibly, it's incredibly amazing. 
Um, now I, I wanted to get into Pearl Harbor though. Ah, ah, I, I, I distracted myself with telling the story. So, um, oh yes. Oh, there it is. Canada sitting right at the top of the screen to remind me every time. Thank you, Canada. So did you know that, uh, then knowing all this is going on on a global level and FDR in his third term, cause that's okay. I guess back then, right? Uh, his, in his third term, uh, renewing and changing American society more than any other president ever before, since maybe uh, not counting Lincoln right? Uh, that guy has got to have contingency plans. He's not a bad president. He's a very good president. I just don't like his politics and the results of some of the things he built, but he's an excellent president. And uh, he has contingency plans. And so what I heard just yesterday is that World War I, before Pearl Harbor is bombed, the U.S. not only has a contingency plan for how to reattack or how to attack, the problem is we weren't expecting what happened. So that was a problem. But at the same time, they did have a contingency plan for invading Canada in World War II. Now, wouldn't that have been fun? No, it would not have been. But for the sake of South Park fans everywhere, right? On South Park, it would have been hilarious. So um, there was a plan. That's how bad it was. Wow. And we think it's bad now. We got no idea. We're such snowflakes. We really are. Um, just the Bible things. I know you've dealt with baptism before, so I'll try to keep this succinct. Earlier today, Wednesday, I was discussing the topic of baptism with people in what is called the provisionalist movement. Oh, okay. Uh, it's basically... Baptist-based decision theology that flirts with some... Really? Like, every Protestant movement? Is that? Oh, wow. And, but they all say they're different. Like, they have different names. And, like, they talk about how they aren't the same church anymore, and now it's different this time. This time, and this time, and again and again. And there's a chapter about that in a book called Broken, by the way. Uh, what was it? Um, over and over againism? Something like that? I can't remember now. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, that makes me want to talk about mysticism, rationalism, moralism, and my new favorite way of talking about those in Lagos, Pathos, Ethos. But we're going to leave that and go back to the provisionalists because that sounds exciting. <laughs> when, I, when I brought up a Bible verse concerning baptism, the people in question responded by saying that phrases like baptized into Christ, buried with him in baptism, etc., et are figurative and are not literally referring to water baptism. It's really cool when your argument for your point is that nothing means anything. Like, that's so awesome. Like, you can just read the Bible and like when you're like, there, oh, that one's figurative. So if you're going to make the figurative argument, which you should at times in the Bible, you got to make it from the text around it. So go to the text around it and show me why, anywhere, anywhere, we should believe the word baptism means there's no water involved. Show me. Start with Matthew. That'll help a lot because you'll see it's water all the time. And then eventually, Paul talks about it. And now you're like, well, now it's not water. Uh, okay, where's the Bible verse, Bible believer? Bring it. Bring it. That's all the argument you need for that one. I'm sorry. I, I get so tired of this argument because they walk around with this proud, arrogant, haughty, boasting thing as if they have the Bible on their side and they are the greatest Bible deniers there are when it comes to the text on baptism. They refuse to believe. This is, this is rank unbelief is what this is. Rank unbelief. Oh, well, that verse in the Bible doesn't really have a meaning that we have to believe is true except for the part that we like. I'm sorry. I don't got patience for heretics. I really don't. No, I really don't. I, and they're out there boasting like they're creative and they're, they're freeing the church from shackles. They're not reinventing. They are reinventing. They're not reinventing anything. They're doing the same thing over and over and over again. All it does is destroy consciences and our civilization along the way because it is, it is Protestantism that is still running this country and it's just mainline liberal Protestantism. But the rest of Protestantism is on a constant trajectory to being mainline liberal Protestantism. And I know one-word arguments don't do it, but Christianity Today, Christianity Today, is, is all you need to know about the drift that evangelicalism will have until it returns to the sacrament. 
is going to drift just like that, always. And Lutheranism, when we join you and become sacramentarians in practice, we drift right with you. So uh, it's not like we're immune just because we have the word Lutheran outside our door. But it's, it's this is this lie. This lie. We're the Bible believers, except for those verses which you are wrong about because you think they mean what they say. I know, I know. It's like a childish argument, but it's a childish argument. That the baptism doesn't have water involved in it. Where? Give me one verse in the Bible that actually would lead you to believe that has to be true without your theological assumption that baptism can't save being the reason. That's the only reason that's there. And so you have to do, you have to do violence to the word baptism. Violence to it. Grammatical violence. Which hurts your faith. Good question. Sorry for the zeal. When I bring up the church fathers, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean the ones with in a generation of the apostles, yeah. Um, and the support of sacramental eff- efficacy, yeah. Uh, they respond that they don't read the church fathers, yeah. And all they need is the Bible, yeah. Except the verses they don't like, yeah. You're done talking to them. You really are. Uh, with, the, with that background, my question is twofold. Is there a reason to believe that baptism is ever referred to metaphorically in the Bible? I, no, I've never seen one. Like you're making it up. Like, oh, I don't like what they teach, so let's make stuff up. And then, um, what is the best response for the, I don't need anything but the Bible person? Um, have fun with that. I'll be here when you get done. When it hurts enough, we'll be sitting right here with the Lord's Supper for you and the Bible open so you can understand it, but go by all means. Uh, there's a verse about being handed over to Satan. So you yourself and the Holy Spirit without the church. That's not what the Bible says. So have fun with that. I mean, at a certain point, this, the heretic who's so proud, you don't, you don't have to be gentle to them. Don't be mean. Don't be mean. But be frank. Have fun with that, my friend. That will hurt. But when it hurts, remember, it's not the only way to see Christ. And come, talk to me. There's a better way. There's his way. The Way, truth, life, all that. Yeah, like that. Do it like that. Oh, best response. So to, you want an intellectual response for why you need more than the Bible? Um, it is because the church is not just you. It's, it's you, plural. Most of the time, the word you is in the Bible is plural, and you don't think that when you read it because you're too selfish, and so you shouldn't read it by yourself. Straight up. I mean, there you go. What more do you need? I, I could go on for like an hour and, and demonstrate how little you know or something like that. Or how easy it is to be mis- misled by, say, translations or things like that. But none of that really matters. What matters is that you think you're, you're sufficient in yourself. And that's what decision theology would teach you to believe, because you did make that decision, didn't you? You gave your heart to Jesus, so now you're clean. Yeah, because of what you did. Because the primal cause, the para cause, no, the primal cause is you. And, uh, well, no, see, it's not. It's not how it works. And so your pride's going to grow until it breaks. And that's the with theology at work. And there are, there are Baptists who don't believe that, thank God, but they're fighting against their theology and their conscience all the time. The only difference with Lutherans, we're fighting in our, th- in our conscience all the time too. The only difference is that our theology keeps giving us an answer that isn't us. And that's the difference. That's why we're all like, you should be Lutheran. Ah, to be Lutheran because you hear about Jesus. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like water in the desert. So um, keep up the good work. Uh, thank you for taking the time to read this. I'm ordering my copy Without Flesh today, by the way. Thank you for ordering my book Without Flesh. I don't even know what happened. Like, books, I guess, fell off the market uh, along with airlines and things. So I have no idea if that just ruined the launch of that book. 
it was doing pretty well, uh, you know, the, the month before COVID that was out. So uh, that's there to help you with Lord's Supper issues and connect to, of course, Echo and Broken, my other two works. You can find them all on Amazon, along with that uh, Thief in the Night series, which we are close. We are close. We are close to re-releasing the update on that to fix some of the typos and then move forward. So um, uh, us, the chill well involved in making that happen behind the scenes. Thanks, Jeremy, for the comment. And uh, we got we got more. We always got more. But part of me thinks that there's been a few super chats. So let's see if I do this. So let's see here what's going on comment-wise. Uh, artist shouts out this just to say thanks for all you've shared and addressed this morning. Thank you very much for that, Artist. Appreciate it. Um, and then back on the angel tangent, uh, Jedi Knight Anakin Crinswalker says, I'm aware that the word angel in scripture is just messenger and that occasionally it's used for humans. Uh, what kind of technique do we use to differentiate human versus seraph, cherub, etc.? Sadly, uh, to my knowledge, we use the way it's always been done before. And I can just sit here quietly and I don't have a defense for why that's what we do. Um, I don't do that. I let the context of the text tell me and I try to assume every time it's not a supernatural being because that's the least likely thing to be true. And so I want the text to force me. Um, why would the text tell me it if it was obvious, right? So this is a hermeneutical principle. I don't know what it's called, but when you have two interpretations, you try to get the, the one that is least likely first until you can't, and then you're compelled to believe it's the other one. And so I, I try more recently, last couple of years to assume if I find Angelos as a word that it's a human first, and then when they're flying over Bethlehem, it's like, yeah, probably not the saints, probably the heavenly host. It's actually not Angelos. I think that's even mentioned first there, but, um, I mean, I could refer to the church. I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's just not somewhere we've given a lot of attention. And like I said before, to some extent, that's right. We're not supposed to, we're not supposed to, the angels are there to comfort us in knowledge that there's more of creation rejoicing over what's going on in Jesus and um, to let us know that the creation's order is bigger than just us and also working for good according to God's will. Um, and that also explains then, you know, what's wrong is there's a war in that order uh, and we're part of that war. We join the wrong side. Uh, so uh, with all that being there then, um, Letting angel primarily mean not a flying being, even when it's talking about a flying being, paracausal, what have you, whatever, right? Uh, that's not the point. The point is they're a messenger. When you see an angel, what are they there for? To be a seed flying thing? No, they're there to say words and you're supposed to hear what they said. They bring a message. And so if you don't get the message from the messenger, you're really missing the point. And if you're worried about the messenger rather than the message again, well, you might just shoot them then, wouldn't you, if it was bad news? That's the kind of king... We don't want to be. <laughs> As they got a king, you don't want to be because then they kill you. Oh, back, 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 back. And there, and yeah, yeah, it could be better. So, continuing on with your comments from last week and sending it in. Um, did I just skip David there? Don't want to do that. Squirrely logic and cognitive dissonance. I'm a recent convert to Lutheranism from American evangelicalism. The problem is, I am having is that I feel that I'm still using the same kind of squirrely logic with James 2 to defend monergism that I use with passages like 1 Peter 3.21 or John 6 to defend sacramentarianism. Okay, you, you might be, because some do. I don't think I do, but, but some do. Um, just as it is so much easier to let the Bible speak on the supper or on baptism, I feel it would be mu so much easier to confess synergism. Oh, well, it would be easier. 
because it's what the devil wants. <laughs> now, this is a gut reaction, but yes, it is. Uh, the, uh, but the cognitive dissonance between the plain text of the Bible and my theology is a big part of what brought me here in the first place. Yeah, right. Um, well, so just read the whole chapter and not just that line and ask, is James talking about how you are going to answer on judgment day for fire or heaven? Or is he talking about how your brother will view what you have done? And when you have the answer to that question, you know what the text is about, and it's not about synergism. It's not about synergistic soteriology. It is about ergism, which would be works. And certainly we synonymously work as we are operated on by God. So it is not as though the works that he does upon us are without us working. But see, that's not what synergism really means if you talk theologically. So you don't want to say that. Far better to say that there is a transcendent mystery at work in which we cannot perceive salvation by grace. We must only believe in it. And what we can do then following it is continue to believe it and try to look like it, even though we know we're going to fail, but we're not allowed to quit. James. So uh, it's, not, it's not that tough. Uh, James the Apostle of Faith. What's tough is what you've been, is that you've been trained. You've been trained, you've been trained, you've been trained, you've been trained. It's just, I gotta do it. I got it. You're not even just training. That's like genetically what we're born into from the flesh of Adam. That is the original sin. So of course you're not gonna let go of it. Just don't tell me it's in the Bible. That's <laughs> something you're supposed to like hold on to, right? No, you're supposed to believe it's dead in Jesus. It's completely dead in Jesus. You just get to see it all the time and believe otherwise. And then when you see it, believing otherwise, you're not going to just lie there and be like, oh, it's, it's bad and I can't. No, I can. I can move. I can change. I can say I'm sorry. I, I can try again because I'm not dead and I'm not going to be ever. So I might as well get up and learn how to be a good person. Even though I know I'm not going to be. Tomorrow morning, I get to try again. It's all going to burn. And one day I'm going to wake up and I won't have to try. I'm just going to be it. Not because of what I did. Ain't no shame in this thing. Ain't no shame in Christianity. It is so good. Much ado about nothing. Dear Pastor Fisk, I'm curious about the divisions that exist between Lutheran denominations. Really? Again? Can we just fix this? <laughs> Particularly between the LCMS and the Wells. Yeah. To me, the apparent reason for our separation disagreement over the meaning of fellowship and the role of women in the church. Ah, that'd be nice if that's what it was. Uh, they seem a rather petty reason to stay separate. Ah, oh, I disagree completely with that one. Um, women of the church? No, stay away. If you actually have uh, not what we have, stay away. We have Western civilization's feministic poison. We've drank it. It's, it's, in, it's in. I'm not saying that, hey, parishioners, if you're watching, I'm not saying we have to change voters' assemblies tomorrow and get rid of female votes. Don't think that. That's what the matrix of evil wants you to think. That's not what I said. Okay, so hang tight, trust me. But um, if you're outside of our view on man and woman in Christ as we practice it in the Missouri Synod, you don't want to come anywhere near it. It'll destroy your family. It'll destroy your schools. Not because you have female teachers. No, just the idea. Just the idea. So, sorry, I tangented it there because that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Now, I don't think Wells is actually as safe as you think you are. So that's why it's like, well, whatever. You know, uh, you're not as safe as you think you are from this stuff. It's in your midst. And I've had good men among you tell me, no, we're all pretty much on the same page. And then I've had good men among you tell me, oh, no, we got that and this and that. And oh, my gosh. So, mm, I don't know. Uh, but the reason for the difference being as a meaning of fellowship, sure. Women in the church, not really. Um, uh and neither of those are petty. In fact, I, I, I went off on the woman one. The meaning of fellowship, you mean the meaning of the Lord's Supper is not a reason 
Because that's what fellowship is about, is about the Lord's Supper, first and foremost. You think that's not a big deal? It's a petty... A disagreement over the substance of the Lord's Supper is a petty reason? I'd call that the only reason to divide, really. What is the difference between a church's view on man and woman in Christ if you are liberal and if you are conservative? I would say the difference is how it impacts the Lord's Supper. You'll see it almost immediately. You will see women delivering you the Lord's Supper, and then you will see them consecrating the Lord's Supper. And then you'll see them telling you that the Lord's Supper is not Jesus, or that Jesus doesn't really have to be a man. I mean, they go straight at it. It it has happened everywhere. It's counter to creation. We're like, no, it's not. Anything you can do, I can do better. Right? And it's, uh, how long we can do that for? So, uh, and, and then, you know, the Lord's Supper, I mean, sacramentarianism has been nothing but a blight on civilization. It is never, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. That's too much. God's word is too good. And so, thank you for the Ten Commandments, dear Lord Jesus Christ, and the substance of the creed, which they confess in their points of fundamentalism, at least in part. That those things have been enough substance to give us deism and a nation born out of French philosophy that protects our right to not believe what everybody else believes. But, but I, I, is that really what the church is here to do? City on a hill, what kind? How? Shining with what? Yeah? So, so I think those issues are precisely why we should be divided. Huh? And I think your Wells pastor would agree with me. Or he's not a very good Wells pastor, honestly, because he should be the one to agree, not me. Right? I'm supposed to be the liberal one. So anyway, to me, the apparent reasons for our separation, disagreement over the meaning of... Oh, yeah, I just read that part. Sorry. Even within the LCMS, there we go, people certainly possess different opinions. Yeah, that's true. But we haven't officially agreed to, to say they're not big deals. There's been documents that have been published, but in terms of like our documents that say Bible, confessions, right? We haven't... We haven't there are those of us who are still free to fight. And... That hasn't stopped yet. But, but see, if you come in and you say this isn't a, a dividing issue, now it doesn't matter if we fight. That's the worst thing that could happen. Ecumenicalism destroyed everything. It, like, like everything. Go study that word, ecumenicalism. It's, it's never helped. So, uh, what would the spiritual danger be in United as we are uh, lying to ourselves in the world uh, at what point does a point of contention become so troublesome that splitting apart becomes necessary ah yes well that's a different question isn't it now um, when your conscience requires it and trust your brothers and talk to them and when all your consciences require it well then you gotta you kind of know what you gotta do then don't you so it's not quite voting, right? It's just consensus, which the Quakers figured out. Why have we taken so long to even consider? Maybe a green would be a good way forward. <laughs> Robert's rules, that'll get it done. That'll stop the sin. All right, so still feeling it. Lynn says, oh, what should we do when we feel guilty? You're, you're going to still feel it. Um, feel guilty? Don't feel guilty for feeling guilty. How's that one? Yeah, I, I really do recommend not feeling guilty for feeling guilty, nor feeling guilty for not feeling guilty. If you're going to feel guilty, feel guilty for one of the Ten Commandments. Find one you've broken. Ponder that. How have I broken this? This is my guilt. Then find that guilt. Confess it unto the Father. Remember your baptism. Kiss your crucifix if you're into that kind of thing. And I recently have become so. And rejoice that your guilt neither can separate you from Christ, even if it is an unnamed boogeyman in the basement of your dark heart. Happy birthday? Not exactly, but yes, it is your unbaptism day, which doesn't mean you're unbaptized. It means it's not the day you were baptized, but then again, you are because that's how it works. It's all of them. Oh, it's the great day of the Lord with water, I think. 
So I'm trying to, someone else goes on and says, William, here he is, reconcile Luke 20, 38 and Romans 14, 9. Is God the God of the living and the dead or just the living? Oh, interesting. I can find no com- commentaries comparing these. Well, yeah, it sounds like a nut. That's fun. Okay, so you're saying, oh, look at Frisbee the hand. Aren't you amazing? That was great. Thank you for this. It's right here. I don't even have to look for it. Luke 20. Now he is not God of the dead, Jesus said, but of the living. For all live to him. And then you have Romans 14, 9. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Now, um, I think I got an easy answer for you here. It's easier than you think it's going to be. I'm not, I, but, but you could go the hard answer. The hard answer is that you're making a mountain out of a molehill. And that not, generally speaking, if you're going to get something that's that's black and white, narrow, dogmatic terminology in Greek, you're going to have uh, adverbs around it, um, only, right, kind of things, uh, emphasizing it. So Jesus is making a point, and the point is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob aren't dead forever or dead at all in him. That's his point. Not that they're not dead. They are dead. Their bodies are in the ground. And whatever cosmological argument you want to have about the interim state, we can do that later. But we get way too heated about that and not, don't care nearly enough about the present or the actual future that's coming. Anyway, if you know what I meant by that, I, I'm, you probably agree with me, actually, if you know what I meant. Because um, you've studied it enough to know. Like, that really is a, a thing. But the point here is not to make this dogmatic pronouncement on, on how death works and whether or not the earth has four corners. It's to say that them being surprised that Jesus is older than all of these things. Um, well, it shouldn't be because these things aren't gone. And so he's, he's pointing out that they don't know their own scriptures well enough to know that those men died believing in the resurrection. And if I'm not mistaken, these are the Sadducees talking to him who don't believe in the resurrection. And so his real point is to insist on a resurrection of the dead. Don't read some sort of like living but dead narrow cosmology into one phrase here and then pile it against Romans 14, 9, Christ died and lived again that he might be both Lord of the dead and Lord of the living. Although I have a much easier answer than all of that. Okay? So that, that was the hard answer. The easy answer is this. The first one is talking about Christians. And the second one is talking about Christians and not Christians. Well, he is Lord of the dead and the living. So if you're Christian, you're alive, you're born again, you will live forever. The second life has come in Christ for you, and faith alone is the only way you're ever going to experience it until it ends this world. And uh, until then, everyone else in this world is, well, they're waiting to burn with, like, anything you'd throw in the, the trash. They're, they're, they're waiting to be taken out. Not because humans have no value. Oh, no, they've all been purchased, paid for. They just don't want to live. So for that reason, um, they, they won't. And so they're the dead. And they're dead even now. They're not even alive, though they walk around. The walking dead zombies is one of the most beautiful and true images of describing original sin you will ever find anywhere. It far outpaces dogmatic formula in, in, the, in the, the pathos of the thing. Now, we need the dogmatic formula. That'd be the logos of the thing. So we can understand how we should live. That'd be the ethos of the thing. Oh, look, at I need to write broken again, apparently. Oh, my. That's a scary thought. It, so you easy ha- you have an easy way out, right? That that Lord Jesus Christ also will judge the goats. That that's your easy answer. But I think the first answer works too. So um, they're both 
equally viable. And I don't really have a problem as a result because, I mean, it's, it's an interesting find, but you're just hanging. You'd, you'd want to go look at the Greek. Um, I mean, you're really hanging on English hard there and uh, going outside of the, the symbols of the words themselves and what they mean to convey in their context. And again, to do that, you want to understand what Jesus said and you haven't studied first century Palestinian Sadduceans, Sadduceanism and Phariseeism. Like you're going to get some of the nice things he says, but you cannot go dogmatic at, at any level because you just don't even know what the, the conversation was. You know, when, you, when your eight-year-old comes in and like, they don't know what was going on, they just start talking and it has nothing to do with what's going on. Well, that's what you're going to do, you and your Bible. You know? And hey, I would, I'd do it too. We need each other. The church needs more mouths. Vernie says, anthem to the fallen. We got to vote. I think I did not pick that one. Oh no. Thank you, Vernie. Thank you. Well, there will be a use. It's all going to get used eventually. What about when dad is cohabiting? Oh, goodness. You get, a, you get a gulp for that one. There it went. Oh, that's a tough one. I was watching your video from May 23rd where you discuss relationships between young adults, and I want to ask a question of a similar vein, but different. My father-in-law has been widowed for almost three years, and both his children from that marriage are now married and out of the house, but still living very close, a.k.a adjacent to the property, with the idea that we would care for him as he gets older. For context, my F-I-L, fiancé-in-law, yes, is a more charismatic Lutheran with no strong theological basis, whereas his children, God be praised, have that basis and are considerably more confessional. That's nice. Uh, Unfortunately, he has met a a more charismatic, word-of-faith Christian lady. She never mentioned Jesus even in conversations about faith. Isn't that funny? Yeah, listen for that one. Uh, that, that means the demons are at play, I think. I mean, I don't want to accuse her personally. I have no idea. But the name of Jesus, when it drops out of the conversations of Christians, and you can call him, see, titles like the Good Shepherd don't quite work. You can call him, you know, Yahweh. You can call him Joshua. Uh, you can call him the Son of Mary. You can call him the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You can ascribe his titles to him. But if they never, ever mention the name Jesus, that's, that's wiggy. That's some weirdish stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And then, then they, it's going to show with what she says next. Yeah. They moved to a point in their relationship where without discussing this with anyone, he moved into her house. Oh, moved her into his house. And at the time they were not engaged. My question then is this, how do you begin to approach this discussion when both adults are well past childbearing age? Mm -hmm. So there isn't that raging hormone issue. Ah, Yeah, no, there is. The guys never really goes away. Uh, Rarely. Um, And clearly see no issue with what they have done, even though they both profess to be conservative Christians. They're just liars. Yeah. Um, She does attend the same church as he does, though I cannot see how that works out long term when they don't believe the same things. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, they, they figure it out, right? And they, they bear with it, which is fine. Everyone has to do that to some extent. Sadly, the pastor of the church waffles on closed communion, allowing her to commune as well. I'm sure that helps uh, solidify them in their sin because that's what it does when you don't practice closed communion is it solidifies people in their pride. It's, it's in the confessions. It doesn't talk about closed communion, but it's about giving into idolatry. And it, it's just really straight up. So yeah, what do you do? You, my friend, M, have no authority to do much, I'm afraid. You could talk to your pastor about it and see if your pastor would talk to their pastor about it. That'd be about it because you've not been given that authority. I would talk to my wife about it and be very frank and say, well, when our kids are around, we're going to talk about this <laughs> and we're going to tell our kids what this is. And we're going to tell our kids that they're not Christians, even though they say they are. And they're the way to learn about false Christianity. Because look, here it is. They don't mention Jesus and they don't care about the law. 
Cool. All right. Well, there you go. Antinomians. What do you know? They exist. It's just not what the LCMS is always barking about. Um, although maybe it is, maybe it is, maybe I give you guys too much trouble, but, 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 um, you don't have the place to have a conversation with him in the relationship, in the family. So the closest you come to a vocation by which you have a, a, a chance, a snowball's chance in fiery places of having him listen to you is as a brother Christian. Which means that if you have never been to the same church or commune together, you have even less to stand on. Um, I wouldn't go to their pastor directly. Um, I would go to my pastor and uh, I wouldn't give names. I would just tell my pastor that he should let it be known that there is a, uh, adultery in the congregation and that the rumors have reached you pastor. Right. And that's it. Just leave it at that, you know, but that is active attendees. And if he doesn't care, then it's on him. Right. And then they're attending a false teaching hireling church and they're going to get what it gives them, which is what it is giving them. And it's like, you can't fix that. You can, you can again, tell your wife, you know, I'm, I honestly think that's wrong. It's, it's I'm going to tell my kids it's evil and it's not Christianity. And we don't do that in our family. Although, you know, what do you do? Uh, and, but I wouldn't bring it up at Thanksgiving. I'd really try not to. Ever. <laughs> you know, why? Um, you know, and if you have to have that one conversation with him for your conscience, like, I got to say something, otherwise, all right, all right, okay. I mean, God doesn't need you to be a warrior on this one. Um, he needs you to be patient and open your mouth with wisdom. Uh, but if you need to say something, then say it privately, far away from everybody else, and make it clear at the start, I got to do this one time, I'm never going to do it again. But I have to say, I think it's wrong. I'm going to tell my kids it's wrong. But I'm going to love you. They're going to respect you. They're going to call you grandpa. They just think you're going to not be with us forever. No. But I'll never bring it up again in your presence unless you start talking about adultery in the presence of my kids. And then, well, I don't have a choice then, do I? So that's kind of where I'd go in that one. I would not expect to win. I would not expect to win. I would not engage, I think, even, uh, on the level that you're wanting to. I would wait. I would pray and I would wait. I would wait, I would wait, I would pray, I would wait, and I would ponder, and I would look for the moment when the idolatry that the foreign wife has brought into his home um, exposes itself in a way that harms him, and then I'd say, hey, look, I'm still here, and we still love you. Come to church. Let's find out about the real guy. So, you know, it's, it's tough, though. It's war. It's war. It's war. What you sit through and think about... Um, all right, oh, worship wars coming for your choir. Is this going to be? Uh, I don't know if I got. I've, oh, it's the last one though. Well, where are we at? Ten fifteen. I'm gonna take a little pause. That'll get better over time. I think that'll work out. We're gonna jump to Vernie. He jumped in again and said, uh, "Annabelle, uh, what do you say to people who say that God talks to them directly?" Oh, so this is Annabelle's question. Annabelle, thank you so much. I'm gonna scan and see if I can find you quickly and drop you directly over. Uh, it looks like you are getting good answers from everybody else on the side. Um, and I don't see original question, so we'll go with it as Vernie put it up here. Uh, what do you say to people who say that God talks to them directly? Like the Father or an angel or Jesus? And I'm not kidding. That's like what I would say. <laughs> that, would, that would be the next thing I would say. So the Father or Jesus or an angel? And I guess in one, in one sense, I'd be stalling, but not really. I'm really hunting for information. And what I want to do, if at all possible, is very quickly expose their heterodox Trinitarian thoughts. 
because they will have them generally. If they're a Christian who comes with this, I've never had the diehard uh, um, cessationalist, liturgical, confessional, Lutheran, sacramental pastor come to me and say, well, I'm the one God's talking to, right? So if you, I'm not sure I want it. If, you, if he told you to talk to me, you can't. But otherwise, I'm crazy, but I'm a cessationalist. So um, I would try to show them their heterodoxy if they wanted to just give it to me. Like, I'm not going to try to trap them in heterodoxy. I'm not going to try to trick them with the words. But I'm, I'm going to just ask a question so that they can confess to me whether or not they're heterodox or orthodox with regard to the Trinity. And when they confess their heterodoxy with regard to the Trinity, I will latch onto that and then try to lean from that into cessationalism. And cessationalism, not sensationalism, cessationalism is the ceasing of miraculous wonders after the gifts given by the apostles laying out of hands died out the first half of a generation after the apostles, more or less. I know whether or not um, I'm trying to think of who the, who the oh who was he the old he, he he amongst the early generation of church fathers of the second generation he was an ancient man who had sat at the feet of John I can't think which church father he was but by the time he came around to the kind of that next generation he was so old that um, he may not have even been intelligible from what I understand some of the history says when he would preach he would just kind of talk um, but he would have been a uh, a, a second generation. Christian from the first generation of Christians who potentially could have, would have, did, knew John the Apostle. And if John the Apostle gave him a holy gift according to the sending which he receives in Matthew 10, well, then he would have it still until he dies. And that's cessationalism. And that after John died, he couldn't give that gift from the commission of Matthew 10 on anymore. And so Matthew 28 is still in vogue, in va- is valid, in vogue, it's more than, it's not in vogue, sadly. It's va- it is amongst missional church guys, they think, but it's really not because baptism just isn't the thing. Um, it, setting, setting your thoughts against the world means questioning your thoughts. So the challenge beyond the intellectual argument I just made for cessationalism from scripture briefly, conceptually, without getting into things like uh, the text that Douglas Judish's an evaluation of the claims of the charismatic gifts does, um, without getting into all of that. Um, if someone comes to you and they are believing that someone is still talking to them, I would try to expose any heterodoxy that they had to encourage them to doubt their own thoughts because we all should anyway. The only time this has really ever happened to me in a way that I found valuable was when someone came to me because precisely they were doubting their own thoughts. They weren't coming to tell me how they had a vision from God for the church, which is what you would think an angel would finally do, right? Is tell us what we're supposed to do or something. Um, as opposed to like, let you hear your cat meow. I've heard that one too. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, your dead cat. Um, so I try to expose as much of a gentle heterodoxy as I can in order that I may uh, encourage them to consider that it's at least potentially not true. And so as long as it's saying what the Bible is saying, you really shouldn't worry about it either. That's what I told the lady. It's like, is it saying what Jesus is saying? Yeah, she's saying that he's with me and he's going to comfort me. Okay. Well, I wouldn't worry about it then. When it says something different, you know, come, come talk to me again. But until then, I mean, who knows? A, a nice daydream might just be a nice daydream. Who knows? The human mind, in, in, uh, for all sorts of reasons, can have all sorts of chemical things happen within it. Uh, food does this. Drugs do this. right? Alcohol does this. So, so um, 
who knows what kind of experiences and stress, PTSD, who knows, you know, and, and what kind of dreams you have in order to help your conscience get through all of this, to assume that therefore God is talking to you there. That's the thing. And you, the only answer is to test it via what scripture actually says, because what new revelation do we need when the one we got before says, you know, there's not going to be any more books. Anyone who has any words to this book, let him be receiving all the wrath that's in this book. And you're like, well, I'm a prophet. Oh, <laughs> you didn't read Revelation, did you? Like to the end, like the actual end. Could you read the ending, please? You know, it's, <laughs> so um, I try to move in that direction, but I usually do it gently. If they come at me in pride and they talk about how they're a holy apostle, I'll be like, all right, cool, prove it. Show me, whatever. And even if you show me, I'm like, wow, the devil's working you. Cool. So how's the Lord's Supper? Oh, is, is baptism symbolic? It is. You are not working with the Holy Spirit. I just know it. You got, you got the devil doing superpower. Wow, good for you. Um, I'm going to go inside now. Let me kiss the crucifix. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully if I did that to someone, it would be in jest with a good friend who I also was trying to really be serious with at the same, at the same time, the same time. What an interesting question. Thank you for that, Annabelle. I hope that helps. What would I say? I would try to under, I would want them to understand where they were coming from. And I would try to get to what they think they believe right away and then try to demonstrate the inconsistency in what they do believe and have confessed they believe with what they're saying they believe that is inconsistent, which is this teaching. And, um, I have a tool belt for that, that not everyone has quite the same way. Um, however, you can build your own and I can give you the belt to build it in. Okay. So the belt to build it in the tool belt itself, not the tools is a book called, um, Oh, Greg Kugel. I lost it. I'm going to get it. It'll come back. His name is Greg Kugel. Uh, tactics. There it is. Tactics by Greg Kugel. It will, it will give you the belt into which you should put your own tools for these kinds of conversations in which the real agenda is to stay not a jerk as long as possible because they're going to think you're a jerk the moment you disagree. So you want to stay not a jerk as long as possible by asking questions about what they think and then you try to get them to, you don't try to get them to hang themselves. You try to show them that they're hanging themselves. Like you're like, oh, okay. So what you've done is you built a noose, you put your head in it and now you're standing in a box and you want me to kick it out from under you. Are you sure that's what you believe? Right? And you just kind of keep leading them with knowing questions about where the holes are going to be. And you're going to get that nose by trying, right? Um, so, but, but what Kugel does is he gives you a nice platform for thinking in that way about the argument and the conversation. So highly recommend that book and tactics by, by Greg Kugel. So cool. We're at 1022. That gives us about eight minutes till our official end of airtime. I've been thinking about how I'd love to do three hours sometime, but I don't know that I'm there today. I am, um, yeah, what, what Arliss said way back at the back, uh, just energy. Ah. What do you do, you know? Um, what do you do when you can't do anything? And I know COVID's kind of that question anyway right now, right? But there's those times where like, you try and you try and you try and, and it doesn't work. And then there's God saying, be still, be still, be still, be still. Um, that bit that we did with the Haven earlier, about, uh, let's see if I can get this over there real quick. Hold on. There, we need to go to. Mm. Mm, I knew that was going to happen. All right. If we go here, I think that kind of gives us, there we go. This is Revelation 21 again from earlier. Um, oh, but that's not the one we want. We want, pardon me, listeners on the podcast. I know that's not real great TV for you. Exodus 14, 14, Joshua, Yahweh, Jesus, Christus, Christ will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. 
Pretty good one. The Lord Joshua will fight for you and you have only to be silent. So when you're in your, when you're in your depths, when you're in your tentatio, when you're in the, the, the cravenly powerless dying self that you are and you can't see out of it, you don't have to. You're not going to. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to die. You're supposed to die in pain as a wretched thief. Knowing that even though your own thief's death is not sufficient to atone for what you've done. There was a guy who was a king and not a thief whose death was sufficient. And it's not that that's going to make you happy in that moment. I had a war with my crucifix yesterday. Didn't make me happy. I just got angrier and angrier. But on the other side, Jesus was still on the cross. And I was still in need. And he didn't give me a different answer. He just looked on me in pity. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so I, I finished my day. I finished my day baptized in Christ. And today was a little better. If I think on it, there's a lot of pain. There's a, there's a song. I, I, I knew I liked this song, um, but I didn't realize how much I liked it until yesterday afternoon. We went for a drive. Uh, kids have been a little itchy, you know? And uh, where do they go? I mean, go to the parks. are kind of open. We just went into the country, in Illinois, two hours. And like first first stop sign, I said, kids, where do we go? Right, left, left you know, straight. We just went. We just went. Kept going. It was great. And had music playing. And uh, windows open, beautiful day, spring, early summer. And uh, so it was my playlist that I had running. And I, I have, I, I, golly, building playlist, what a disaster. But I have a couple of really giant ones that I just put on shuffle. And uh, Beautiful beautiful Pain by Eminem came on. If you're not a rap fan, don't even, well, it's not a bad introduction, honestly. But there's a lot of context and framework to liking rap it doesn't it doesn't come easily to anglos for good reasons <clears throat> historic reasons we listen to music very differently we were taught to in our schools as uh, as missouri senators especially and what what rap has learned to do we got to figure out what they've learned to do is how to talk in rhythm so people listen to you hey preachers you listening <laughs> Jeez. so we should study these guys use of language because they're deep and philosophical and real. And whether you like what they say or not, and sometimes I really despise what the same singer will say in one song or the other, um, man, they wrestle with life. Do they really? Right out in front. The way I wish we would. And uh, so Eminem's Beautiful Pain uh, is about the day after you did something you're sorry for. And how hard it was, how righteous indignation was inflamed, uh, uh, how your your desire to make it right, uh, how you're you're not knowing whether you should even try to go. Like he just he covers it all in one big song, and it's all about how remembering that today is going to burn. And it's amazing to hear a guy who's not a Christian talking about that because I can just appropriate that language immediately. And when Modest Yahoo, the the Hebrew, sings, you know, let yet let yesterday burn in the fire. I'm not sure what he's talking about, but I know what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to let my sin die. And Judgment Day in Jesus Christ. So when Eminem says, you know, it's all going to burn, but tomorrow I'm going to wake up. And by grace, he doesn't say by grace, but the song's about it. By grace alone, I'm going to take another step. I'm going to say another word. I'm going to meet you in the eye. I'm going to try again. Um, beautiful, beautiful pain. If you've never heard it and you want an inter a soft introduction to rap, YouTube it. 
Um, M&M can be a real trip. Uh, make no mistake with that one, man. It's just absolute gold. So that's been in my heart. Uh, I've listened to it probably three times since yesterday, just cause, uh, to walk through it with somebody, right. To not be alone, to know that this guy, Eminem, who kind of has achieved what I want, he's got enough of a brand to make his own production company, right? He can make whatever he wants to make. If he wants to make a movie, he could, right. Um, you know, that's, that is what I would love to build. I'd love to build that. Um, I don't think I can. I'm not sure the church has the capacity going into the dark ages as we are to do anything like that. So who knows what's going to come, but I can see him having achieved it, right. Having, having built that, you know, I lost my life. He gained his life, whatever. That's no different where he is. No, no different at all. It's exactly the same. And the fact that he found some grace and could sing about it in a way that encouraged me, well, that, that makes me all the more want to sing about it myself in whatever way I have. And right now that's this microphone. La-di-da. Ay, ay, I got a, I got a gorgeous singing voice. I can carry, I can carry the harmony tenor all day long. I can carry it all day long. I just need some good, beautiful tenor to keep me in second place. Um, otherwise it gets kind of nasty. <laughs> the tenor in me is not the tenor it ought to be. Um, but I'm still the tenor who thinks everyone should sing like I do, uh, like all tenors do. Ah, uh, my goodness, my goodness. You, my friends, it is, it is 1030. We have had a chill of a morning. I hope, I hope it's been a value to you that your questions have been answered. Your conscience has been soothed and you have, uh, once again, been glad that you watched. I'm glad that you did. And if you heard about Jesus, that was, that was the entire point. Yeah. That's the entire point. Hopefully you also are going to be catching uh, the bonus cast, Patreon bonus cast podcast I did with Pastor Coons this past weekend. Um, it was behind the paywall just for, past weekend, past week. It was behind the paywall just for uh, about two and a half days to give the Patreon subscribers a, a, what, a heads up or a foretaste or an early peek. Um, but now it's out there for all of you as well. And uh, Pastor Kuntz and I go back to Ezekiel. There's a lot of stuff I'd love to pick his brain about for me, but I just get the feeling that the one thing in the transition to Saturday morning chill that may have been lessened in the production uh, from, from Mad Christianity at this moment would be like the straight Bible talk. And we almost got to that, although not quite, because you gotta, you gotta fly kind of hermeneutically high over Ezekiel to just get the, get the landscape of what's going on. But it was, it was a good conversation, really enjoyed it. So that's out there on the podcast channel. If you subscribe to the podcast, of course, it'll be on your phone for you automatically. Um, Patreon, I mentioned, thank you. There's been a lot of movement on Patreon. It's really interesting. Close to like 10, 12 in the last week. Um, most of you coming on and two of you going off. And so we sit there and it's like $2 up, <laughs> which is awesome, which is why I got to keep asking you, right? That's how, that's actually how it's been growing for almost a year. It's like two bucks a week. So uh, thank you. Those of you who do that. And those of you who do a little bit more, thank you for all the super chats this morning as there comes a $2 super chat. Um, these are nice too. I'm not quite sure how to budget on super chats, unfortunately. So it's the podcast and, uh, and its release uh, via Patreon that continues to be the real arc of this ship. But thank you for all the extra that Google brings in because that does help us buy stuff. And again, as you know, we're going to be uh, shifting gears in about a week and a half into a new facility for myself and my family. Oh my goodness, another great song. It's called Home. Um, uh, so expect some transitions. I'm pretty sure we'll be on the air next Saturday and the Saturday after, but I may come in in between times with just more goofy. We'll see. Let's just see what happens when I box everything up and all that. So um, uh, you can also follow the Instagram channel. I have been trying to get Proverbs up there. I fell off the wagon on that one this week, but it's not gone forever. Um, so if you like, not so much my talking head, but my own brain and pen in artsy daily wisdom. Well, uh, check out my Instagram channel, uh, feed, whatever you call that thing. Uh, Mad Mondays, sign up for that. Absolutely. I already mentioned that one earlier today. And um, 
us the chill, all of you who support this in any way, whether you volunteer, whether you give, hey, uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad it's a value and what you do is a value too. All right. So uh, I, I threw out this. I didn't read your your chat, Cringe Walker. Iluve non volatabunter. That sounds like German. Uh, Starry ex ruinas. But that's, that's, that's got to be bunter. Is that Latin? You guys are smarter than I am. Illuminati need only apply. We will publish missives in perfect Latin if you send them. But it's got to be more than a sentence or a phrase. You got to actually write it. Go, go yourself planet Pelican on us and you'll get published. Promise. Ah, first one to do it at least. Oh, I should totally tell you about this. Oh, yeah. So the show's over, technically. So if you don't like games, leave. I'll be here next week. I promise. I don't have music for this. I need music for this somehow. Oh, because it well, hold on. I'm gonna start a new show. I have to. This one's not going away. And the podcast isn't going away. Bonus cast. This is different. Here's the thing. When I want to let my hair down, the last thing I want to do, what a mop. The last thing I want to do is go do research in a book to find a very small number that might be a differential of one or two and spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes trying to figure out how if you fall down in that little gully with the spiders, whether or not you break your kneecap. And I have to go research that to know that. That's what Dungeons and Dragons requires of you as a game master. And so I've stopped playing that. I used to play Magic the Gathering as well. It's a math, chess-like, card poker game fusion thing with tournaments. Hard not to love if you get involved and really has nothing to do with actual witchcraft and wizardry, unlike the Christians who tell you that it's okay to sleep together. So, um, however, to really get into magic, you're going to buy cards all the time usually, or have people who like to play, and uh, also have a local shop that supports a gaming community for that. I haven't found one. I felt comfortable in here and the time it takes is too much. So I'm in this state where as a newly 42 year old man who still has his PlayStation and you know, he can, he can play with the kids and all that. And I still got Fallout 4 modded and I'm still haven't beat it. So that'll last until eternity and back. But frankly, I want to play a game and I'm tired of not being able to play the games I want to play because all the rules get in the way. So I had an idea. What if I found a way to make it so I didn't get tired of having to figure out the rules for the game and I got my buddies who want to play to play with me? That was how it started. And it just kind of rolled from there. I, 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 I don't want to make too much of it. It's probably going to be terrible. It may only be one show. It may only happen one time. But let me just tell you what I got for you. I got two teams of eight, all more or less grown men, all nerds, one team Lutheran, the other not exactly, but not anti, just not. I mean, a Roman Catholic, a guy who's not, but a Lutheran's on the team. There are going to be two parties in a D&D-like game, but not D&D, streamed via my channel, via Zoom, um, with cash prize, if the season actually happens. Um where they compete against each other and with each other to rock out an awesome story, level their characters into amazingness, and again, walk away triumphant over evil with me feeling like the great grandmaster of it all as I led you there and made it hard 
well, he went. And the greatest part of this is if it really does come all the way to a season one and they get to level 20 and then they have a winning team, you know what I'm going to do next is I'm going to say, hey, us the chill. Teams of four only need apply for season two. Yeah. And uh, it, I don't know. I don't know if it'll work, but I think it will. And the, the, I want to get back to like how, how, this is where it could all fall apart too. How is it guaranteed to not get bogged down in the rules? Because I'm going to make them up. Only when we need them. I don't know if this will work. It's a big, it's a big Tim Ferriss thing, and it's a big lazy dungeon master thing, if you read that book. Which is to realize that everybody's smarter than you. And all the work you do just gets in the way. And all you need to do is give them a really reasonable answer to how many dice they should roll if they run into a spider and are gonna maybe break the kneecap. And you don't need to look it up. <laughs> you just you can guess. Give or take. Roll. And you put some stakes in that thing and you get, you get to have some fun. So I think it's going to be fun TV. It'll probably be a midweek evening. It'll be a couple of hours. It'll be on the stream live. I, I will not attach the Mad Christian brand to it, um, but it's my channel, right? So it's just going to go there. It's going to sit there and float. Uh, hopefully, if it's good enough, you'll watch it. And if it's not, well, you won't. But maybe some who like the games will, who aren't here for the Christianity. And maybe, you know, I don't know, nosebleed section, it all, it all crosses over at some point. Um, so that's also part of the idea. But I, I think it's a great way to use this facility and to get me to decide that the game I want to play is on this camera right now and I'm inviting others to play with me and while you'll never beat me because I am the dungeon master you can't beat the dungeon master the goal of the dungeon master is for you to win but not think you're going to until you do and that's a that's a fun game to play and when I get a pitch against each other it's gonna be even better so those of you who know the teams, I mean, the teams already exist. Uh, one is recruiting. So if you ask, you might do it. Uh, they need, I think, one more, maybe two more for it. But uh, the teams are pretty set. And I'm thinking, though, it's going to be after our transition to a new location. Uh, and uh, and we got to get it. It's got to be fun, right? My whole rule is, Jonathan, the moment this is work, you're not doing it. And so it's got to be fun. But it's been a lot of fun so far. Um, I don't know if I can even show you. Oh, maybe this will work. Let's try it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So we're gonna go, we're gonna go here. We're gonna go here. This is totally bad. Can I get it? Oh no. Something with my phone. Golly. I'm gonna have to go. This is totally bad TV. We're like it's so over. <laughs> I'm gonna go, um, uh, I'm gonna have to go to the Apple store, which I don't have one locally, just to get my phone to talk to my computer again. All because of an iPad that I wasn't using anymore, that one of my kids did something on that disconnected the talking to each other of iCloud syncing. And now I, anyway, well, it was had a lead of that. No special effects this week. And there may not be any special effects, theater of the mind style gaming, but there will be dice. Oh yes, there will be dice. And um, yeah, it's going to be faster than D&D. I hope. I hope. So that's out there. Watch for it. Pray for it. And if you hear rumors of a slot open on that team, uh, do they have a name yet? The one team came back so ready. Let me, let me, Soldiers of Fortune's ready to go. The Darien Dragon Slayers, well, let's just say they stumbled out of the gate, but hasn't even started yet. So lots of time, lots of fun. And uh, if, if this was not interesting to you, that's, I'm sorry. You just don't ever click on the one. It'll say like gaming stuff. I just don't click on those videos. And I'm trying to bring it up here too much. Although it may show up in Mad Mondays, especially as you guys are going to get a vote on stuff that they do. Decide who wins. That sounds fun too, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. You can mess with their lives. <laughs> 
So, Cool Beans, everybody, uh, thank you for tuning in. I am going to give you the conclusion. There's nothing in it. This is a, a shell that, in theory, if I ever pay or have the money to pay someone to do all post-editing work on the channel and add the links to other videos and all this, this is the shell that that could easily go over there, over, but it does have some of that sweet music, which someday eventually will also get up on the channel, I think, just on its own right, but still working, still working on, on those scenarios. So much in the air. Keep me in your prayers. I only really do the things that have to get done. And the rest of it is I got a pile of chips and I just poke them forward when I can. And the more us, the chill gets together and starts saying, what chip here? And I go flink and you catch it. The sooner things, the sooner we get things like those eBooks uh, and, and videos and whatnot, uh, other videos uh, are coming out your way. So uh, us, the chill, thanks for what you do. I'm going to now not push finish like I did last time. And I'm instead going to push the little button with the picture over here that says run scene close. But I'm going to wait until I've said, my friends. Let us not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. But let us stand firm upon the ruins of this age. And let us know what does the Psalms say. Our enemies shall be as chaff before the wind with the messenger of Joshua, Yerat, Yahweh, Jesus Christ driving them away. Rock on.